Hey, welcome back. I'm Kim Munson. Uh, let's have a conversation with Rob Nadelson. Uh, Rob, just quickly, I-, I cannot believe how many different Supreme Court justices throughout the country are citing your work. Is that pretty exciting for you? Oh, yeah, it's really exciting. Somebody described it as a gold ring for for a constitutional researcher. Many go through their entire lives writing articles, and uh, a Supreme Court justice never mentions them. And so, obviously, I'm very honored that they uh, decided to rely on my work. Well, that's exciting. But I want to jump through this really important piece that you've done. It was in the Epic Times, uh, September 10th. And you've said Americans traditionally revere the Constitution as we should. But because of the astounding success of the United States, uh, has enjoyed under their governance. However, the Constitution has its critics now. So let's go through that. Well, sure. Um, For many years, people on the left used to claim that the Constitution authorized the welfare state, that it authorized government regulating almost everything. However, over the past few decades, a number of scholars, including myself, have published works that show rather clearly that you can't square the Constitution with something like, like the Green New Deal or like Obamacare. So advocates of programs like that have started to attack the Constitution itself. And um, the accusations of the Constitution was adopted by slaveholders, that it was racist, sexist, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, actually, those, those charges are substantially not true. And that's what I mentioned or discussed in my Epic Times article. Well, let's take on the first one then, that the Constitution is undemocratic. Okay, in order to have a democracy, and by the way, many conservatives will talk about the difference between a republic and a democracy. The founders didn't make that distinction. That's a distinction that arose later. So I wouldn't pay a lot of attention to that distinction. The founders would have referred sometimes to the United States as a democracy, but they realized that for democracy or self-government to work, you have to have rules. You just can't have the mob changing its uh, views every every month and try to translate that into government policy. And sometimes the way the rules work out is that it, they thwart they thwart the majority in the short run in order to preserve majority rule in the long run. So a great example is the First Amendment. The First Amendment says uh, Congress can't pass a law suppressing free speech, even if 90 percent of the people want a law suppressing free speech, they still can't get, at least not without amending the Constitution. So that's a good example of a rule in the Constitution that blocks a short-term majority preference in order to preserve democracy or self-government or republic, whatever you choose to call it, over the longer term. And the Constitution has a number of those different rules. Another example I gave is that about 8% of the time, not very often, but about 8% of the time, the person who was chosen as president, who gets to be president, did not win a plurality of the vote. Uh, Again, that's because our presidential electoral system, and this is a very involved topic, which we can't get into here, but our presidential election system is set up in a way that helps to preserve uh, self-governance and democracy in the long run. So the Constitution really is not anti-democratic. It is true that some states during the founding era uh, limited the franchise somewhat, limited the number of people who could vote. 
but those restrictions quickly disappeared as the as the country uh, as as the country aged. Okay. Let, well, let's go to the next uh, allegation that the Constitution is sexist. Actually, the Constitution is not sexist. There's nothing in the Constitution at all which is sexist. The only thing you could possibly point to is the use of the pronoun he to mean he or she. But, of course, that was standard political usage up until or standard uh, grammatical usage up to a few decades ago. Um, during the. When the Constitution was being drafted, the founders looked around for models. You know, what other constitutions or documents could they rely upon? Uh, most of the state constitutions at the time referred to uh, men, or they were gender specific in some way. An exception was the New Jersey Constitution. New Jersey actually permitted women heads of households to vote in New Jersey. Women voted in New, Jer- in New Jersey, and they voted in considerable numbers. And so when Gouverneur Morris, who was charged with drafting the the final draft, uh, was looking around for models, he seems to have used the New Jersey draft. And he created a document that is essentially gender neutral. That's why, for example, there's no real question that a woman could be elected president um, because of the drafting of the Constitution. It was remarkably uh, advanced uh, in, in, in that respect. And I think it was gender neutral because the founders recognized that there might very well come a time when women could vote in all the states when there would be women federal office holders and they and they wanted to uh, uh they wanted to accommodate that so the the constitution is exactly the reverse of sexist and if there's any again many states most states denied the vote to women uh at the time but that w- we took care of that with the 19th Amendment, uh, which ensured that women can vote on the same basis as men. Okay. Well, let's go to the next one, that the Constitution, the next charge is that the Constitution was adopted by slaveholders. Actually, relatively few slaveholders adopted the Constitution. Uh, the Constitution was adopted in conventions popularly elected in each state, and only a very tiny sliver of the electorate who chose the delegates to those conventions held slaves. Slave, slaveholding was mostly a, a phenomenon among the, among the wealthy, and of course only in some states. So uh, the vast majority of the people didn't hold slaves. You know, I, I would venture to say probably 97% of the people who elected delegates to the ratifying convention, that's just a guess, but it's an educated one, did not hold slaves. In addition to that, um, at the, the delegates to the conventions themselves we're overwhelmingly not slaveholders. The slaveholder charge arises because some of the framers, that is to say the people who drafted the Constitution or the Constitutional Convention, held slaves, and that's true. But so also uh, did many of the delegates not hold slaves. And there's, there's also this point that people should remember. If you try to discredit the Constitution because some slaveholders favored it, you have to take into account that many slaveholders opposed it. So, for example, George Mason of Virginia, who was a slaveholder, opposed the Constitution. Well, does that mean that people who oppose the Constitution are discredited because some slaveholders oppose the document? Of course not. Um, so that when, when, you examine the, uh, when you examine the charge, it just evaporates. It's actually kind of silly. Well, and the founders realized that if we believed in this idea, uh, it's not really an idea, but that, that 
individuals have rights of life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, that if, and each individual has that, that put up a, a problem for the Americans once they made that statement. And so they started to work to, to get rid of slavery, right? Yes. And in fact, uh, in the 11 years, when people think of slavery, they sometimes think of the really hard pro-slavery views in the South in, say, the 1840s. That doesn't describe the situation at the time of the founding. Um, We declared independence in 1776. The Constitution was drafted 11 years later. In those 11 years, eight of the 13 states had already uh, begun the process of emancipation. Um, only one state at the time the Constitution was adopted still allowed the, uh, the uh, international slave trade. There was widespread um, agreement among the founders, including those founders who had inherited slaves, that slavery was immoral. That's why, for example, one of the most influential founders, who unfortunately is too little known today, John Dickinson, uh, freed all of the slaves that he had inherited. So there was a genuine recognition among the founders, almost all of them, that slavery was immoral against natural law, and they expected it to die out. The reason it didn't die out, of course, is because uh, several decades later, Eli Whitney invented the cotton gin, which worked an economic revolution and made slavery much more more viable. But the founders can't be held responsible for that. Well, and and just a correction on viable, you don't mean uh, viable from an approval standpoint, but that viable because... No, no, it became... The cotton gin made slavery more economically attractive, is what I mean. Yep. Okay. Wanted to clarify that. Okay. We're getting kind of close on time, but uh, let's go through a couple of these others, that the Constitution was adopted only by white people. Actually, that's not true. In five states at the time, free African Americans could vote. And, of course, Indians who did not owe their primary loyalty to their tribes and became citizens uh, also could vote in most states. Okay, and then what about that the Constitution was adopted only by the rich? Uh, That's definitely not true. The electorate that elected the delegates that approved the Constitution overwhelmingly consisted of small farmers, uh, tradesmen, merchants, and the like, Um, not the rich. Okay, so this pretty well goes after each of these things that many of our kids are being taught in universities by some of those other professors, uh, Rob Nadelson. Yeah. Um, one of the things I should mention, I, I mentioned in the article, is one of the most absurd claims is that the Electoral College was the product of slavery. I think uh, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez repeat, repeated that nonsense, uh, more evidence of how uneducated she is. Uh, there was almost no connection or discussion between the Electoral College and slavery um, other than a chance comment by by James Madison at a, at a uh, a time that was not particularly critical. And in fact, it, at the Constitutional Convention, the three states most committed to slavery, the Carolinas and Georgia, all vo- voted against the Electoral College. Now, some people claim that the um, three-fifths compromise, whereby um, uh, slaves were counted as five slaves were counted as three white people, that that somehow infected the whole system. And to a certain extent, it did. But that that particular compromise was not an approval of slavery by any means. I explain this in the article, and I explain it more thoroughly in another article that you can get by linking from the Epic Times piece. Okay, well, excellent. Rob Nadelson, thank you so much. This is an important piece in the Epic Times. I greatly appreciate it, and we'll have you back.